give acknowledgement to your pastor, Keenan Meredith. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to go see his brother. And if you know anything about Keenan, he had to send me a picture of the latest stadium that he visited, which was the Rose Bowl. I just shook my head. He was smiling. He's standing on the 50-yard line. I'm just going like, bro. Um, also, uh, my pastor, uh, Pastor Eric Burns, and my former pastor, Tyron Meredith. I'd like to send appreciation to my wife who came up. It's always a very interesting conversation when you have a 45 minute to an hour ride and thank her for that. Amen? Amen. I won't be before you very long. <laughs> that's, why people, that's why I make people do it in my other church. Oh. <laughs> um, I like to, um, I don't know if you write a lot of notes, so in deference to uh, Agent 007, uh, the title of this message is First Things First. Um, we're not going to be very long. It's just a few scriptures. Uh, let me get those out the way if you're writing notes. We're going to cover First John uh, chapter 5, verses 13, 13 through 20. Second John, verses 5 through 9. Jude, verse 20. And then the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 34 through 35. So I will repeat that. First John, chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. Second John, 5 through 9. Jude, verse 20. The book of Jude, verse 20. And John, chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Amen. So here's my introduction. Um, as I was contemplating and I was discussing with the Holy Ghost, what should I talk about? My mind went into 18 different things, right? Amen. We all know what time we're living in, amen? Yeah. So I could have talked about the fact that we're living in the end of the days and the end time and oh my God, look at what's going on around the world. But Really, is that news? I mean, at this point, if you don't know now, then I don't know when or what will be the singular event that will convince you, right? In the age of so much information at our fingertips, I don't think that's bringing any new information to you. Let me just go back 2,000 years ago. A man stand up and said that we are living in the last days, and these will be the signs of the times that we're living in. So I'm not... Uh, that was one thought. The next thought was, well, let's just talk about the condition of the church. Well, that seems to be everybody's favorite subject. You know, the church is not doing this, or the church is not doing that, or the church is doing this, or the church is doing that. Nah, that's okay. I think most people who are spiritually in tune know their Bible, have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You kind of know where the church is at. Amen? Amen? And Jesus told us where the church would be in this time that we're living in. Okay, I'm definitely not going to talk about politics. Nothing ever good comes out of that. Talking about politics is like talking about dirt. It's there, but at the end of the day, you don't take it to you in the, in the bed. You leave it where it is. Amen? So that doesn't affect you. I could talk about everybody's individual life, but I don't know everybody that intimately, and you don't know me. I could talk about my life, but why put you to sleep? Right? So... As I'm sitting there, I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, and there's very few times I say the Holy Spirit. I said, now let's cover first things first. And I shook my head, and I said, what do you mean? And he took me to those scriptures. So the first scripture that we are absolutely going to look at is 1 John chapter number 5, and beginning at the 13th verse. At least I think that's where I'm going. I may swear on you. I have been known to do that. Nope, that's where I want to be. I've written this to you that who believe in the name of that you may know you have eternal life. Let me repeat that. I've written to you who believe in the name of you have eternal life. 
We are confident he hears us. We should underline that. And you should circle this that pleases him. Repeat that. We are confident he hears us whenever we ask anything that pleases him. First things first. In the time we're living in, we have this Christian life a little twisted right now. And it's been going on like most things. It didn't happen yesterday. It's been 30 years in the making. The faith movement and nothing against the faith movement turned the gospel on its ear by saying you can have all these things because Jesus died for you. And he's given you the abundant life and you should live your life abundantly. And from that transformation of those scriptures, we transfer it into everything about your life should just be more of abundance. You should have more joy than the next person. You should have more uh, uh, riches than the next person. Your life should be more of, of spiritual planes than the next person. It's always been a comparison to somebody else. It's always been you should have more and you should have more and you should have more. So we took 20 to 30 year bombardment of instruction and we began to wrap it up in everything that we did. Our prayers are modified that way. Okay. I want the, the televangelists, the, the ministry that came on TV, the ministries that were in the radio, they, everything was about you getting more and getting more and getting more and getting more and getting more. Okay. Now, to a certain degree, let me acknowledge that they are crystal clear. Jesus did say you should have life and you should have it more abundantly. The question became, what was the abundance that you should have? And that's never covered. And I think Jesus, even in his words, left it a little bit out there because if you don't know the answer, then you should be inquiring from the Father, what does it mean to have more abundant life? should be inquiring from the Father, what does it mean to be in abundance? So we didn't get that covered. Amen? Amen. John, in 1 John, is the apostle that Jesus spoke of, that Peter questioned, you know, what about this over here? What's he supposed to be doing? And Jesus said, well, if, I, if I will that he lives forever, Right. On this side of eternity, that's my business. Go feed my sheep. This is the same guy. So he's old at this point. He's about 80 years old. And he says, I have written this to you who believe in the name of the son of God that you may know you have eternal life. First things first, we seem to forget that the reason that we are Christians, the reasons that we are believers, the reason that we're in the kingdom, the reason that we come on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night or a Friday or whatever days of the week that you come to assemble yourselves together, you do so because you have eternal life through the name of the son of God do this. This is the reason that we modify our lives not to reflect the world, right? This is why we extend ourselves as a servant because he was first a servant. It's okay if he screams. It's all good. He was first a servant and we're supposed to be servants. And the reason we do that is because we know the name of the Son of God. Before Jesus came on the scene, nobody knew what was the name of of God. They speculated. They went to the rabbis. They went to the high priest. They went to the, to the religious leader of the, of, the, of the community. And it was always hidden. But now that we have it, we know because of this name and the person that is of that name, we have eternal life. Sometimes we need to remember. The book there was a book published in 1894, and the title of it was First Things First, okay? And there's been poems written since then. Western Dictionary says that First Things First is defined as when you say or it is said when the one thing needs to be prioritized over others. When the one thing, the one thing that needs to be prioritized over others. Old man moment, there, used to, there was a movie called City Slickers 
part one. And the whole premise of that was that the character was telling Billy Crystal's character, you need to find that one thing in life. If you find that one thing, your life will have meaning. And Billy said, well, what's the one thing? <laughs> You've got to go figure that out. You know? We have to remember what is the one thing. The reason it's easy to preach this morning is that it's easy to talk about why we are here. This last, I don't have to tell you, but here's a disclaimer. The last 36 months has proven that everything that we thought wasn't that important. Your job wasn't important. Watching that football game wasn't important. Meeting with your friends wasn't that important. Going to your favorite restaurant wasn't that important. Traveling wasn't that important. Why? Because at that point in time, the world literally stopped what it had to stop because of a virus. And I got news for you. There are more coming along the way. So just strap up. But it began, hopefully, for a lot of people, since they were sitting in their homes or they were under some type of restriction, that you took time to take stock of what was important. Hopefully, you took time to find that one thing. As Christians, we should, we should already know what that one thing is. We should. But just in case you don't, I came here to tell you. That one thing is Jesus. And that one thing, if, if it's nothing else, I'm going to delineate, I'm going to break it down for you and make it plain. But if, if you get nothing else from this morning, get this, that Jesus is the one thing that you need to have a hold of because everything else is going to pass away. Some slowly, some abruptly, but I got news for you. Everything that you put stock in, your family even as an example, it's all going to pass away. Your life is going to pass away. So you better find that one thing. I find it interesting that John says, and we are confident when he, uh, he hears us, whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. How many times have you gone in your prayers to the Father through Jesus and you didn't even think about whether or not this prayer would please him? I find it impossible to pray and make your prayer 90% all about you. I find it impossible. I mean, when you really, you know, when you push past, you know, the flowery words and your, your, your list, I think when you really get in that moment where you're seeing Jesus face to face, I find it impossible to just be praying about what you want Amen. and not think about God is this pleasing to you. I'm talking about from my personal experience. I can have a crisis, a personal crisis, and I can go to God in prayer. As I'm sitting in that prayer, because I understand, like, like in the Garden of Gethsemane, prayer doesn't have a time limit. But as I'm in that moment of prayer, and I'm praying through, and I don't care about what time it is, I find it impossible to pray in such a way that I'm not pleasing him. Amen. There's a statement in that prayer. God, if this is acceptable... Am I praying this the right way? Holy Ghost, help me because I don't want to make this thing that I asked for not to be pleasing. Amen. From time to time, I have to pray before the beginning of the service. And the thing that I always say, and I don't do it because it's just automatic. It's not a routine. I mean this sincerely. I pray that every tear that is shed in the worship service, every hand that is raised, every prayer, spoken and unspoken, every note that's played by the musician, every song that comes out of the, 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 the singer's mouth, the message, everybody that's in that moment, let this be what? Acceptable in your sight. Because outside of that, it don't mean nothing. It don't make no sense getting all dressed up. Getting your hair laid back for those who have hair. <laughs> it doesn't make sense to put on your best clothes or your most comfortable clothes or, or anything if it doesn't result in asking the things that will please him. Amen. So the question of the day is, what pleases him? Let's read on. 
It says, and we know that he hears us when we make our request. We also know that we will give us what we ask for. If you see, a, verse 16, if you see a fellow believer sing in a way that does not uh, lead to death, you should pray. And God will give that person life. So we already know one thing that pleases him is when you begin to pray for others who are not living a consistent life. That pleases him. Prayer about yourself or a prayer that God will give that person life. And the word life is not about life and death as it is understanding what is the life you should lead. Amen? Amen. Because outside of God is death anyway. Amen. That's what makes hell so, hell so bad. Not the fire. See, we, you know, flesh can't stand heat. Right. We are obviously we're in a warm place right now. We can't stand it. We look at the fire. We hurt. We, we look at the brimstone. We, oh, my God. But you know what really makes hell hell is that God is not going to be there. See, because even right now, as you're sitting in your seats, God is with you. And the idea of being in a place where God is not with you is going to be more torturous than just Dealing with the, the, the heat and the brimstones. Amen. See, for the, for the demons, the fire that does not quench, the brimstone that gets keeps on smelling, that's going to be bad for them because they see God in his pure existence. Okay? That's going to be bad for them. But for us, it's not knowing the presence of God. We don't know that. Even being born and never knowing Jesus Christ. God is all over the planet. He's all over the universe. You have never been as a human being outside the, of, of the presence of God. Think about that. That's why Jesus made a statement. He said, I'm going to be with you forever. Why? Because as the Father has always been with his creation. But to be put in a place that you no longer have, you no longer have the presence of God, in addition to the fire and the brimstone? How many people have ever burned themselves, whether severely or not, even touching the stove or touching the candle? You know you can tolerate it to a certain degree. You're going to scream a little bit. But to have not God's presence forever and to know that he was present with you? The apostle says, he says, that God would give that person life. That pleases the Father. That pleases the Son of God. He says also, but there's a sin that leads to death. And I'm not saying you should pray for those who commit it. Let's not even worry about what is that sin unto death. Amen. You spend too much energy. We do know from Scripture, and I, I have to be totally, totally upfront and honest, that blasphemy against the Holy Ghost, yeah. Jesus said was a sin that was unto death, that was unpardonable. Cannot be pardoned for that because you're exposing the works of the Holy Ghost to the works of the enemy. With full knowledge that you've done that. But what John says here, he says, look, he says, there is a sin, in the and I'm not saying you should pray for those who commit it. All wicked actions are sin, but not every sin leads to death. Amen. I love the fact that he the time to explain that. First of all, sin is sin. There are not levels. You know who put levels on sin? We do. You know, because we practice it every day as unbelievers and sometimes as believers. So we are experts, right, in the damage that sin will cause. We know the damage between a blatant lie and a white one. Okay, it's just me, right? We know the difference between, between hurting someone and killing someone. Amen. Our laws are dictated. There are levels of punishments to the levels of the crimes that are committed. There are levels that we put on sins to our own detriment because we have tolerances for it. We will make excuses for it. Yeah. And John says, get this, all wickedness is sin. Why? Because sin in its nature is rebellion against God. The sin that Adam and Eve committed was not that they burned an idol. 
right, in the garden. They just disobeyed God. They did the one thing, the one thing, ah, there it goes again, the one thing God said, don't do, that's what they did. You got a thousand things you can do today, don't do this over here, and we let you go, and you run straight to the one thing. Doesn't matter who was imitating. You've seen that with kids, particularly toddlers, right? We tell that child, don't touch that. Sit back and watch happen. You can clap. <laughs> Within 20 seconds, what do they do? Now, those are toddlers. What do you think about you? Because we're all the children of God. That one thing, Right? He says, but not every sin leads to death. How do we know this? Because we have Jesus Christ, the righteous. And if we confess our sins unto him, he is not only able, he is willing to forgive us of our sins. Yes, I know this is rudimentary, but sometimes we can get too deep. I can spend all kind of language definitions for you and talk to you about all things holy. But if you don't get this first things first, you're going to walk out of here with a bunch of information and you'll be no better than you were before. And my job today is to instruct you that your life will not be the same. Amen? Amen? So, he says, not every sin lives to death. We know that God's children do not make a practicing of sin. If you write in your Bible, underline that. You do not make a practicing or a practice of sinning. In other words, you don't become proficient in it. In other words, you don't plan your life by it. You don't work out scenarios through it. You don't create disruptions because of it. It is not something that you wake up in the morning and figure out, this is what I'm going to do. I am, you know what, it's too easy to deal about things of the body. How about this? I am going to wake up this morning and get revenge on someone. You know, after you said, God, I thank you for being alive. And, and John saying, if you're a child of God, you, you ain't practicing in this. You're not trying to figure out how to destroy somebody's life, or are you? You ain't trying to think about how to destroy your body by doing things that you shouldn't be doing. Everything from eating the wrong thing to not exercising, to not getting enough sleep, to stressing when Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You're going to have to deal with some stress, but you shouldn't let it overwhelm you to the point that you are troubled. Right? Practicing. What, are you practicing disobedience? Are you saying, God, I hear you, but? Three letters, B-U-T, causes more problems than a whole sentence of cussing. Not saying you should cuss. I am saying when you say I know but, then you don't know. Because what you're saying is the knowledge that I have of doing the right thing does not supersede what I want to do. Practice of sin. For God holds them securely. What? God's children. Did you know that you have been held securely by Jesus? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, our praise and worship songs are, are us towards him. And we talk about how we, we, we love and adore him and I want to be where you are and so on and so forth. Have you ne neglected the fact that Jesus stretched his arms out on the cross once and since then has been doing this to you ever since? See, that's what the enemy tries to get you. Most people that we know who are Christians, who become depressed, who become uh, um, frustrated in lives, the first thing they do is isolate themselves from other people. And then the second thing is they isolate themselves from God. Okay, it's just me. The first thing you do is isolate yourself from people who can actually help you. And then the second thing is you isolate yourself from God because now you want your insecurities to overtake. Go, God, I'm not worthy. I'm a, I'm a screw up. I'm a mess up. Don't deal with me. If you read some of the characters that are, excuse me, if you read some of the people in the Bible and their lives, my God, I think you're going to be all right unless you have purposely with conspiracy killed a man because you wanted his wife. Right. Unless you stole your 
sibling's birthright or inheritance. Unless you lied about your wife so, they, so you can live another day and had her almost sleep with somebody else. Unless you've gotten up here and, and just tap dance all over your brother and put him in slavery after you throw him in a pit. Unless you have told your younger sister, go on back home, I'm not going back with you. I can keep going unless you're a prostitute. All those people got redeemed, I just mentioned. They're called heroes in the Bible. Why? Because God never let them go. And the evil one cannot touch them. Here's the thing about the devil. That's why I don't like to talk about him, because really his story is written. He cannot touch you. He can only walk when you allow him. I'm going to say it again. Even in the garden, right, the serpent had to talk to Eve, to entertain Eve, to get in a conversation with Eve, and to then convince Eve to do what? To do the thing that allowed the devil to touch her in terms of having her understanding open as well as Adam's by eating the fruit. Because you know what? When they ate it, did you see the serpent anymore? You don't see the serpent until God calls the serpent out. And that's what the devil does. Soon as you do what he wants you to do, and you are the one that has to do it, he disappears. And then he comes back for the condemnation. That's how he operates. Think about all your life. Think about, you know, let's not be deep. But just think about the first time your parents told you to do something that you could recall. And somebody said or something got in your mind, oh, you should go ahead and do that. And then as soon as you did, that very voice that was talking to you can nowhere be found, especially when your parents is raising their voice and or in my day, taking that belt to your tan, your behind. You don't hear that voice no more. Amen. It don't talk about how good this is going to be. Stay out five more minutes. And then when your father comes down the street riding a bicycle looking for, looking for you because you didn't get home, I don't hear that voice no more. Amen. Until the next time. Right. The devil's like that kid on uh, Leave it to Beaver. I know. For most of y'all, y'all know what I'm talking about, but just bear with me for a minute. There was a friend of the oldest son in this family and he would always come by he's very polite to the parents hello Mr. Cleaver, hello Mr. Cleaver fine day today and you can tell, look at his face, this guy's a buster, he's sneaky and as soon as they leave, his kindness changed, he's like alright man we're going to do that thing that we ain't supposed to be doing and then when it goes south you know where to be found, that's the devil so don't give him that much respect we're in the habit as human beings of disrespecting each other anyway. Please start disrespecting the devil. Amen. And the evil one cannot touch them. Verse 19, please. We know that we are the children of God. Why? Well, back here it says we know that we are the children of God because we know we believe in the name of the Son of God and we have eternal life, right? So we know that we are the children of God. Don't ever let anybody tell you otherwise. And please stop convincing yourself that you are not worthy to be the child of God. Jesus paid too heavy of a price for your insecurities to run your life, for your emotions to take hold of who you are. Here's the reason I know that I am Raymond Martin Jr.'s son. Because I know what my father did for me. Growing up, I know how many jobs he took on. I knew when he was tired, he still made time for me. I knew that he had to take care of the house. I knew that he had to get the bills paid. I knew I, I know my mother loves me, not because she held me in her arm and said, oh, I, I love you, son, because I know the sacrifices that my parents made. That's why I know. That's why you cannot tell me I am John Smith. No, my name is Eric Martin. Son of Raymond Martin Jr. You can't convince me otherwise. Why? Because I know what that person did for me. Well, if you know what Jesus did for you, you should never let the enemy convince you that you are not a child of God. Amen. 
But here's the fact. We know we're the children of God, yes? And the world is under, or the world around us is under the control of the evil one. This is why politics don't make no sense to me. Not for Christians. Listen, I'm not saying you should not be involved. God knows I vote. God knows I like to be abreast of the issues. God knows that. But my God, when it supersedes everything in your Christian life, when you understand that this is the world system, and as much as we love this country, and as much as we think we love our government, guess what? It is still under the control of the evil one. Until Jesus comes back and puts the government on his shoulders. You got to remember that. Don't matter who the person is. Doesn't matter. It's under the control of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come. We know this. First things first, you have to know this. And the knowing is not about IQ. It's not about intelligence. It's about a knowing here as well as here. In fact, knowing it here first will dictate to know it up here. We know this, John says, as he's being in prison. We know that the Son of God has come, has given us understanding so that we can know the true God. And now we live in the fellowship of the true God because we live in fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the only true God and he is eternal life. We tend to get busy and we begin to forget what we have. We have life eternal first. The benefit of having eternal life is then we can have the abundant life. You can't get the abundant life unless you get the eternal life. It's a mathematical scripture, uh, uh, equation. You can't get B unless you get A. We're trying to get B, C, and all the way down the alphabet. First things first, we got to remember what we are. Amen. Second John, please. And I'm almost done. Second John, verse 5. He says, I am writing to remind you, remember, or remind you dear friends, Okay. That we should love one another. That this is the new commandment that we have had from the beginning. The reason we know this is John, because of the term he has used that we have had since the beginning. He was there, right? And, and, and we'll cover the scripture in a minute, but he was there during the Last Supper. When Jesus flipped the script and said, I'm going to give you guys a new commandment. We should love one another. Now, everybody knows about love, right? We know that it's all kind of, the Greeks define love with four different type of terms, right? I do find it interesting in this particular scripture and in this particular uh, text, it says, it means, uh, I'm sorry, it is agapetos, not just agape. It means to be loved, desirable, to be acquiesced in, to welcome. That we should welcome one another. Does that sound better? I shouldn't welcome you. I shouldn't put a criteria on you. I shouldn't put a standard on you in terms of you got to look a certain way. You got to dress a certain way. You got to have those what I call church colloquialisms, you know. We all know people like that. Every other word is amen. Every other word is bless the Lord. Okay. But we should welcome each other. Whether you got tattoos or not whether you belong in some kind of organization or not, we should welcome each other. First things first. See, when you understand that the Son of God is the reason you have eternal life, that you are a child of God, guess what happens? Your ability to love one another should be easy and not hard. Should not be forced. Should not be a pretense. Should not have to put on a mask. In fact, you should be, there should be literally, from a spiritual standpoint, a welcome sign on your character. That I'm here to serve you. See, if we serve each other, does, that means everybody gets served. It's mathematics. If you serve me, I serve you, and you serve somebody else, and everybody gets served each other, guess who, guess who gets served? 
Everybody. We should welcome everybody. I will remind you that when this church started, and I remember that the one thing that stood out, like every church that starts out in the beginning, is that the love, the, the pureness that you had for each other. I'm not saying you don't have it now. I am saying to you, don't ever let that go. If you're getting tired with that, then you should get to one of your brothers and sisters and say, I am getting fatigued and being welcoming and being loving toward my brothers and sisters. Here's the thing that Jesus made a statement in Matthew 24. When he said, and when iniquity abounds, the love of many shall wax cold, he wasn't talking about the world is dead. He's talking about the believers. When you get tired, of being in church, when you get tired of checking in on someone or praying with someone or you know, talking about the goodness of the Lord, you need to find somebody that can fill your tank. And the person that can fill your tank, believe it or not, is actually the Holy Ghost. Okay? And this is the commandment that he had from the beginning. Listen. Jesus makes that commandment right after he tells Judas, go do what you got to go do. Right. He knows what he's got to face. He already knows that none of his crew going to be there. And he's telling them, here's the new commandment. Instead of you loving God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your soul, right, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, he says, you know what, I'll make it even more simple. Just love one another. That's why we get tired and we fall away because we don't love another. Verse 6, love means doing what God has commanded us. He defines it. And commanded us to love one another. He has commanded us love one another just as you have heard from the beginning. I'm going to read that again. Love means doing what God has commanded us. And he has commanded us to love one another. By extension, when you love one another, you are doing the things that please him. Well, I don't want to talk to so-and-so. They said this. They, they left out of this. We had a riff. You know what? That's called human interaction. Get through it and work through it. Yeah. That means you got to put forth the effort. The, this word, uh, agapotos, is an action word. It doesn't mean you just sit back and say, I love you. You got to put some feet to it. You got to put some energy to it. Verse 7, I say this because many deceivers have gone out into the world. They deny that Jesus Christ came in a real body, and such a person is a deceiver and an antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked so hard to achieve. Be diligent so that you will receive your full reward. So let me just cover that for a minute. Deceivers may come in different forms. They may have all kind of good religious theories and new revelations. But here's the one thing that they all have in common. They love nobody but themselves. Amen. Amen. I have yet to see an antichrist that does. Right. I can start naming them, but I'll do, it's easier because it's the 21st century, right? Hitler was a type of the antichrist. Who did Hitler love at the end of the day? Amen. He loved himself so much that he was willing to put Young men and old men on the front lines to defend Berlin. 13, 12, 9, 10-year-old kids. A true lover of human beings would not do that. Now, I get it. He's, he's, he's unsafe. But my point is, we have those type of antichrists in our midst. When you see somebody always talking about themselves, even in God, but it's always about them and what achievements they have procured. And if you follow them, you too will have this. If you send this money, you will have this miracle. Yeah. It's a good sign. Probably is Antichrist. Because the commandment was that we love each other. Right? Moving on. Says uh, you may receive a full reward in verse 9. Anyone who wanders away from this teaching proves my point. They have no relationship with God, but anyone who remains in the teaching of Christ has a relationship with both the Father and the Son. If you get away from the things that are first, guess what happens? 
you will not receive the reward. And more importantly, you won't have the relationship that is necessary to have the abundant life. Here's the thing about religious people. They have a relationship with God, but the relationship is not intimate. Why? Because it's with the Father. We get intimate with the Father through the Son. Why? Because no man can go unto the Father except through him. See, the issue is not about I know God and I'm spiritual. That's not been an issue. We shouldn't be fighting among people and we shouldn't be fighting among ourselves. But on this treatise, we should not be fighting with religious people about their spirituality. It's not about that. It's about the relationship. Do you know Jesus Christ in his fullness? Do you know him in the fellowship of his sufferings? Do you know him by the Holy Ghost? If you don't have that, then you don't have it. And you don't have it, that means you have no relationship with the Father because you don't have any relationship with the Son. Okay? Almost done. Jude, verse 20. But you, dear friends, much, must build each other in your most holy faith. Underline that. You must build each other. Build yourself? Or does he say build each other? <laughs> so how many times have you gone on retreats just to build you? I got to work on me. That's the world. Amen. Now, don't get me wrong. It has its place. You should absolutely build, work on yourself, particularly when you know you ain't got it together. Amen. But our first and plead by Jude is that we should build each other up in your most holy faith, praying in the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you can't do it verbally, can't do it English, then you should pray within the Holy Spirit. Gets to build yourself up or to build everybody. If the church is weak, if you're not satisfied with how the church is operating, guess what? You probably should start looking at how are you extending yourself to other people? How much are you, of your agenda are you putting aside to help someone else? I'm going to embarrass her, but I like this. The one thing I love about my wife right now is that she has a person that she has a professional and personal relationship. That person is going through the last couple of chapters of their lives. Okay? What I admire is that she sets aside her time to interact with her. When it appears, and I'll say appear because I don't know, when it appears that no one else is putting forth that same kind of energy. Because the thing that makes it poignant and painful is that how, how, how many minutes, hours that she extended herself to other people. So therefore, keep that in mind when you talk about sowing and reaping. Sometimes you get the reap after everything is over. Sometimes it's just not immediate. Amen? Amen? But we need to build each other up. When we do that, then we have still have, we still will have stones joined together in a fit manner. When we do that, when we don't, we got stones that don't fit. Amen. Last but not least, John chapter 13. I kind of alluded to it before, but I'm, we're going to spend a couple minutes in here and I'm, and I'm, I'm going to get you out of here, I promise. John chapter 13, beginning at verse 34. He says, so now, who? Jesus. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you and you should love each other. So he emphasizes it twice. Amen. So that's important, right? Number, num number two is this. I'm giving you this commandment. I'm not... I'm not forcing it down your throat. It is a commandment, but I'm giving it to you. And anything that is given has to be received. You have to take it. This idea of having what I call armchair Christianity, no. See, this is what part of the problem with social media. It makes you an observer, not a participant. You have to participate in loving each other. You can't sit back and say, I love. That's the equivalent of getting a Valentine. Remember we used to get the Valentines back in elementary school? Some with candy, some with not. Right? You got it. If you, ate the, if you got candy, you ate the candy that minute, and 
unless you like some people I know, very few, you threw that bad old time away, right? From the majority of people, unless there was someone that you were really close to. I'm giving you this new commandment. Notice it wasn't complicated. It wasn't deep. It wasn't about finding 10 angels and spinning around a burning bush. It wasn't about going up to Jerusalem and, and well at the wall. It's I'm just going to give you this new commandment that you love one another. Again, that you love one another. In case you didn't hear it the first time. Again, think about the context. He already knows that the, one of the guys that was closest to me is already setting in motion to betray me. And we can't do this when someone whispers something bad about us. He knows Peter going to deny him three times. You got to remember, when you read the words of Jesus Christ, understand, nothing caught Jesus by surprise. So most of the statements he made were very profound. Look, I know y'all, I know you're going to run away. I know you ain't going to stay awake. I know you're going to deny me three times. I know the rest of y'all are going to hang out somewhere on the edge. I know, Thomas, you ain't thinking about it. It's going to take a whole lot of things to convince you. But he says, you know what? I want you to love one another. Because he could have gave the commandment, hey, anybody that doesn't follow me, kill him. The way he was filtered. I mean, if we was in that predicament, we would have been salty. We would have been petty. You know, when you find Judah's body, I want you to burn it. Okay, y'all so holy. I, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> Just as I have loved you, you should love one another. Let me talk about that for a minute. Have you considered how Jesus loved the disciples for those three years. Did he empower them? On a couple of cases. Gave them the full power of the kingdom to the point that they could go lay hands on people and they could recover. The demons could be cast out. The dead could be received and made alive. He empowered them. He instructed them. And instruction doesn't mean telling them everything, but he gave them the tools to get and figure it out Amen. on themselves. Amen. It makes no sense for this pastor or any pastor or any teacher or any evangelist or any prophet or any apostle to t lay out the whole thing and you don't do no work. That makes no sense. Because A, you're going to forget and B, you won't be able to pass it on to the next person. He says, I, if you don't remember anything else, as I have loved you, I saw through all of y'all flaws and still called you. In the moments you didn't feel worthy, I reassured you. When you stepped out on faith, I changed your name. When you had enough confidence in doing it, you actually walked a couple of steps on water. And we can't help other people get over their addictions and problems and insecurities because what? He says literally here, I need for you to love each other just as I have loved you. Have you taken the time to empower people? I'm talking about in the kingdom now. Giving them the tools. Opened up your life. Because you know that's the other thing that Jesus did. It was probably most important than anything else. They saw him 24-7. And don't get it twisted. It wasn't that Jesus was always calm. We clearly see from the text that he got frustrated with the Pharisees. He got frustrated with the Sadducees. He got disappointed with Mary and Martha and the community that knew Lazarus. He clearly got exasperated when they tried to trick him with the, with the coin, talking about taxes. He clearly was discretionary. He did not see uh, the Gentiles, the Gentile converts, when he was in Jerusalem, they said, we would see Jesus. They never got a chance to see him. And you can't do the same thing? When he said clearly that greater works you, shall you do, not only in greatness in terms of the way we think about it. You know, Americans, we think great. We think about, ah, great. But how about greatness in terms of number and quantity? Just as I have loved you, you should love one another. So your love for one another, and here's why this is the most important thing. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Amen. 
I don't know anyone who has a giant cross on their chest, an 18-pound Bible when they go to work, got every slogan packed on their door. Their social media account is nothing but an endless streams of religious viewpoints and commentaries. I don't know anybody of those ilk that's made that much of a great impact, personally. But when believers have shown love to one another, Amen. you know what the world does? Why, why you do that? Amen. I don't understand. Yeah. Man, God must be with you because that'd been me. I would have. Of course, I hear some Christians say that too. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? This is first things first. Sometimes we can get bogged down with the, with the minutiae. I mean, when you're as old as I am, I've seen some of everything. I've seen so many revivals and all kind of type of revivals, and they come and go, they come and they go, they come and they go. Amen. But at the end of the day, it's how you love one another that stands the test of time. How you extend yourself, how you are welcoming to each other. And here's the thing, the truth is, no one has ever been converted by somebody sitting on the, on the corner or sitting in, on the sidelines doing nothing. When you don't believe me, think about your own life before you knew Jesus. You just woke up one morning and said, I got to be saved? Or did someone plant a seed long ago? Was it a grandmother, a mother, a father, a grandfather, a neighbor? Was it someone leaving the track? Was it someone turning on a, a, a program and you just happened to catch it by? Think about it for a minute. Was it a brother or a sister, an aunt or an uncle? Because nobody comes through this by themselves. There's only one thing that you come through uh, alone, when you're born and when you die. That's it. But you didn't get here. You didn't come into the full knowledge of the Son of God by yourself. And the reason on August the 8th, 2022, that you are here worshiping God and giving of your time and giving your tithes and giving offerings and raising your hands to the Lord and praying and, and humbling yourself before his presence. The reason that you are here is because of what someone has done for you, because ultimately you saw God through them. You saw Jesus through them. You didn't see Jesus. I qualify this. You didn't see Jesus from seeing Jesus one-on-one. -on -one. The moment that you decided to give your life to God, it was somebody. The moment you felt like giving up. Yes, the Holy Ghost anointed you. Yes, Jesus had a word for you. But someone had to deliver it. Someone had to interpret it. Someone had to help you along. First things first, people, we have to love one another. Amen. It's an effort. It's a decision. It's a moment where you open yourselves up and you say, you know what? First things first. Amen? Amen? Amen. God bless you.